Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be here. I actually haven't had um, a chance to preach for a few weeks, actually, but I love variety. It's great to have so many different people through and an incredibly powerful week. Uh, last week uh, we had with now, I can't remember her name. Virginia. Virginia thank you. Yeah. So, man, um, God is just, there's something special that God's doing in this place because he's doing something special in your hearts. And we just want to say yes to the more of God today. Um, just a wee uh, side note before I get into my word is that this week, Deb and I are celebrating 25 years worth of marriage. And I just, I guess everyone's got milestones and I've got the microphone today so I get to actually talk about mine. And uh, Debbie, I just want to say I love you. Um, we were sharing wins uh, a, a week or so in the staff uh, staff context, and uh, my win for the year was that we are celebrating 25 years of marriage, and um, she is just a treasure and a delight, and I would not be who I am because of Debbie in my life, so I want to honour you, darling, you're amazing, and your family, like the being in the, in the legacy and the Fru family is just such a blessing, so cool, anyway. We're just going to get into the Word. Um, first of all, though, I want to just start with just a refresher on our church vision. So this is our vision. We see a church full of the love of Jesus, equipped with His purpose, transforming our world. We, we believe that the Father desires to see every single life engaged with this journey of growth, of freedom, of uh, allowing the, the Father and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit to initiate us into the next level and spaces of our lives because we are passing through life and we go through eras and chapters of our life and we need Jesus. We need the Trinity in every one of those walls that Debbie was talking about. We need him in that place. And so we've got, um, we've also got uh, four guiding principles really or guiding statements that actually uh, really encapsulate the purpose that we have and the purpose that we frame this journey that we're on, and, and that is, you'll know this, belonged, beloved, become, and be the light. And so at every level of these words, these are, this is kind of like an invitation. These words are invitational, you know, to people, they're invitational to God, they're invitational uh, about us discovering who God is in the middle of, of what it means to belong, what it means to be loved, what it means to become, and then what it means to be the light to the world. And so today, I want to drill into just one of these words, and that is the word become. Um, who was got a little excited last Sunday morning? Uh, before church, I mean, church was exciting, but before church, we were, uh, I know some of us in the foyer, they're getting a little bit excited about the Rugby World Cup uh, final. Is anyone else excited about that game? I know you're all a bit sad with the result, but um, I still... <laughs> I just thought it was an amazing game. Come on, go South Africa. 
And actually, I've spent some time this week just following South African rugby reels and, and just getting a heart, growing my heart for South African rugby so I can just be a fan of both. And so if they're in the final next time, we're like, no, probably not. Um, <laughs> actually, Eric, our counsellor here, he uh, is offering counselling to any All Black fans that are just grieving over the summer. He actually did say that to me. It's probably true. Um, I don't know about you, but, you know, we could think about this in a rugby context, but if, you love, if you're following music, if you're following any kind of sport, I'm going to talk about the rugby, though, here, is that when the All Blacks are playing, there is this incredible sense of investment that comes over so many people in our nation. Uh, these people, like me, normally have absolutely nothing to do with rugby. <laughs> I am one of these people. Uh, and if you're like me, um, I, I, I watch it kind of, if it's getting really exciting and we're in the finals, I'm definitely, I am engaged. If the game is going south and it gets boring or something like that, I can, get, I can open up the screens, I can look at the weather and see what's happening and, and on the news. And, and, I, and if the All Blacks are losing really badly, I may even turn off the TV. Yeah, yeah, I did that pretty quickly at the end of the game last week, but we had to pray. Um, <laughs> that's right. You could, you, you could call me a fair weather fan, a fair weather fan, uh, and a, a fair weather fan says if the conditions are just right, I'm there, at least in spirit. Um, but if the All Blacks, you know, win, I, I would say we won. We won. I wasn't at the game. I wasn't playing there. I, 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 was at my, I didn't do any training, but at my own convenience, I claim ownership. We won. It's like I'm on the team. Who, who imagined themselves being an All Black? I know I did. I was in the Jeff Wilson era. Uh, anyway, and, and you know, there were three levels of investment if you follow anything, really, but we're going to go with All Blacks or South Africa because we've got South Africans here today. You could, be, you could be a fair weather fan, you could be an invested fan, or you could be in the team. Let's talk about invested, invested fans. These are the fans that go to the game. You wear the apparel, you've painted your face, you've bought a ticket, you've made financial investment, you've paid money that you earn, and when you're financially invested, you have stepped into a whole nother level of commitment, right? You can turn up at the game and you can help change the atmosphere. You bring the enthusiasm. You're like, yeah, go, or boo, hopefully not. But, you know, you've got, you carry atmosphere with you. And when you're an invested fan, it's really likely that you're going to stay to the end of the game. And, and if it rains, you're, you're still probably going. <laughs> if you were in the Bible, you would be like one of those, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, one of those in the great cloud of witnesses. And they are cheering. They're cheering from heaven, the Bible says. They're cheering for you and I. They're cheering for us who are in the game. They are encouraging and they're like, yeah, you can do it. The only problem with this analogy is that the great cloud of witnesses are dead. They've passed on from this life. 
They're just witnessing what was going on. And, you know, it was nice to see, I know, in the pre-game shots and during the game, it was really cool to see, you know, some of the ex-All Blacks there. You could see Roger Federer in, in the stands, and you could see, yeah, you know, Tana Umanga as well. But no one there really bought a ticket to go and see the fans. They went to see those playing on the field. The, the third level of investment is that you are in the game. You train, you watch your diet, your mentality is connected to a team mindset, you're focused on the outcome of the game, your lifestyle during the weeks before contributes to your fitness on the field. If it's raining, you're on the field, you listen to your coach, you're a team player, you know your position. In fact, you've become a, a specialist in your position. You know, Paul the Apostle uh, he writes uh, in, in Philippians like, faith is a race. Like he, he defines himself as an athlete and someone who is completely committed and investing in the game. And it says this, he writes this in Philippians 3, 12 and 14. He says, not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining. Everyone say straining. Yeah, I know, right? Straining towards what is ahead. I press on to win towards the goal, to win the prize. For which God has called me heavenward, in Christ Jesus. I just want to remind you, church, that it's not possible to authentically follow Jesus Christ as a fan. No one else can have faith for you. No one can have a relationship with Jesus for you. No one can go to church for you. No one can run your race for you. No one can come who you're called to be for you. We all have our own race to run. And Hebrews 6 says this, Therefore let us move beyond. Let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward into maturity. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? In the previous chapter, the writer says, you know, you, you ought to be teachers by now. You st still need milk. You should be on solid food. You know, moving beyond requires intentionality from us that is distinct from, let's think about belong. Be loved, become, and be the light. Moving beyond requires intentionalities from us that is distinct from belonging and being loved. This is like the distinction between being a fan and a player. Becoming, becoming requires us to be moving beyond our present and our past. Be taken, it says here in, in Hebrews 6, be taken forward into maturity. 
Becoming requires us to fight the good fight of faith, pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of us. Belonging to Jesus, being loved by the fathers, you know, these, this is cornerstone stuff. This cannot be removed from our lives unless we willfully reject Jesus and walk away from him. However, there is a wall that appears, and I want to say with a door that needs to be accessed between being loved and becoming. And I want to talk about that today. It's really the wall of becoming. You know, Israel, there's a lot of talk about Israel. I'm not going to talk about the present of Israel right now, but Israel in the past, as a nation, they had a wall when they saw Goliath. And they were there because King Saul, Israel's leader, was stuck at this wall of intimidation. And his fear of the giant overshadows his fear of the Lord. His fear of what, was, what could happen to him overshadowed his fear of what God could do through him. And it seemed in Israel that nobody, nobody had a clue how to break through this wall of fear. They all just saw Goliath as this giant obstacle. It was like the wall is too strong. The wall is too high. The wall is too smelly. The wall requires something from me that I don't have on my own strength. However, while, you know the story, while everyone else saw a wall, David saw a doorway. Everyone saw a problem and David saw an opportunity. And David determined in his heart to open that doorway. Not avoid it. He ran, you know the story, he ran to the battle. He killed the giant and that seemingly wall of impossibility became a doorway for the kingdom of God for David. To Israel and King Saul, Goliath was a big wall, but to David, it was another door. And right now, you might feel, think, believe that there is a wall between where you are and where you want to be. And I want to tell someone today that if you feel like you're at a wall, it was amazing that Debbie shared what she did. That wall that you have, that you're facing at this time in your life has a doorway in it. You can walk through walls. But this doorway of discovery, this requires something from you. This requires an acknowledgement that you are at a wall. This requires you to open yourself up, open your heart up, and engage with the Father in something unfamiliar, something uncomfortable, and something new in your life. Because Everything about where you want to be and what you want to do in God's kingdom has everything about who you need to become, who we need to be become. You know, normally in life, 
every uh, four or five years, it would be, it would be typical, <laughs> typical for someone significant to actually move out of someone's life from a place of priority uh, as a friend or a colleague. And this is just life, right? This is just, this happens. This, is, this happens in life. People come and go. And, but when someone, so someone, comes, someone goes, when someone leaves our lives, actually requires acknowledgement. It could even feel like you're losing someone important, someone treasured. It could, you could enter into a grief time. You know, it wasn't you, it was me, that kind of like thing. And you're just trying to reconcile while that person left. Now, I want to be real here with you because I want to talk about one of my walls without crying, hopefully. <laughs> However, if you're a pastor, I've discovered that you can end up having at least four or five significant people leave your world every year. <laughs> and that requires processing. That requires acknowledging a level of disappointment and pain, mostly pain, sometimes relief, when people leave. <laughs> Joking. I had to have a little laugh in there. Um, it requires self-reflection, self, you know, self-doubt comes along, you know. It wasn't me, it was actually you, <laughs> you know. And it, that, that's a wall for me, and that wants to take me out of the race. That wants, I want to go to the stands. I want to be like, you go, yeah, look at you, good thing. One of my walls, on the, on, after years of, of this kind of cycle actually happening, is embracing my call, because you know love's on the other side of the wall, right? The greater encounter of love, a greater experience of love, a greater expression of what it means to be the light. But, so one of my walls is, is this desire to move through this thing in my heart that says that I I, I want to hold back from loving the church with all of my heart. One of my prayers for the last few years have been like, God, let me love the church as Christ, you love the church. I want to have that innocent love. I want to have that radical kind of love. But that sounds like really authentic. <laughs> and being an authentic leader as a pastor, it requires me to open my heart to people, to, to say it how I see it. And, and it, at times, even when I'd much rather not say anything, being an authentic person requires vulnerability. And with that, there's a risk of being disappointed, hurt, rejected, or misunderstood. So I share my wall, or one of my walls. Everyone's wall's different. Um, the wall that is in front of you, it's going to call you out of your comfort zone. There may be something that you need to let go of, something that you need to take a hold of, something to declare, something you're going to pray and fast. You could become vulnerable. You could confess something. You could get educated. Whatever your wall is, there is a way through your wall. Because Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm the door. 
And the invitation for us on the other side of the wall is to become a greater expression of love. But it is impossible to go through this wall without recognizing our past and present, the past and present parts of us that need healing and transformation. You can't white-knuckle it through the wall. It's not the kind of wall that I'm talking about. I'm talking about something within you that's got to give so that God could get in and reveal His heart in a whole new way. In the book, The The Critical Journey defines what we can see in ourselves at the wall. At the wall, we can be confronted by our pride. We may think that we can try and scale the wall in our own strength. We can be confronted with shame. The wall can represent that painful, unwelcome view of self. The wall can be like intellectualization. Man, I'm not intellectualized enough. <laughs> At the wall, we can just try and rationalize and analyze everything away. At the wall, we can, our, our worldview can be confronted, whether we're liberal or conservative. The wall can represent a profound doubt in what we knew to be true. But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And at the wall, my truth, my reality, my pain has to submit to the truth. Jesus being the truth. And we can end up facing this wall. You're like, how did I get to this wall? It's a horrible place to be. You can get there through crisis, spiritual boredom, or at a deep longing for more. Just the deep longing, deep cries out to deep. And at the wall, we can easily become discouraged, dissatisfied, disorientated. At the wall, you can feel alone. And even at that feeling that God has left me, can be a very real feeling when you're at the wall. But I want to tell someone today who feels like they're in that place that this is not the end. This is not the end of your experience as a child of God. The wall really is our will meeting God face to face. Who is God to me in the middle of what I'm facing? So you may be at the wall today and who but who is with you at the wall in John 10 9 and 10 as I've already said Jesus said I am the door every wall that we're facing has a Jesus shaped door in that wall if anyone enters through me I will uh, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find past it you know there's provision on the other side of the wall there is freedom there is access. Jesus is at the wall, but there's someone else at the wall. The thief, the thief <laughs> comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy is also at the wall. He's right by the door. Jesus is putting this together in, 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 in a sentence, in two sentences. He's there, I'm the door, but there's someone else who's right there. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy He's at, he's at the wall. He wants to take away your hope. He wants to take away your life. He wants to, to hold you back from pushing through that wall. But then Jesus finishes with, with I've come that, that they may have life and have, have it to the full. Have it to the full. 
uh, just during worship today, I just had a picture actually of a of a large bowl, like a cup that was just running, just was really just brimming over, just brimming over with the presence of God. And I just, what I think I saw was just the prayers in our worship actually that, that go to the Father and, and, and there's about to just be an outpouring of His presence. I just see this brimming, this brimming cup. Let's remember that. I just want to speak to the generations, different generations for a moment. <clears throat> Teens and young adults, don't waste your youth. I want to encourage you to passionately, intensely seek God with all of your heart. Seek Him. If you haven't been doing that, if you've been idle in your faith, I want, I want you to get in the game. This is the most time that you have in your life, the most disposable time, disposable income often as well that you'll have in your life because you haven't got a family yet and you don't have some of those responsibilities. You may think you're busy now, but you have no idea. I'm sorry. I know if you're really studying hard, there was probably oh, shots fired, but that's not really what I was saying. I'm trying to say that you've got time to invest in God with, with, without the responsibility of other people on your life. When I was 22 years old, I cashed in what would have been about $10,000 worth of savings at that time, and I went to Bible college for six months and used all that money for the course and my living costs, and it was the best financial investment I've ever made in my life. I went there to seek God about what I would do with my life, and I met the Father, I got delivered, I came into a place of freedom, and He spoke to me about the course of my life. I want to encourage you, young people, to delay your gratification. Sacrifice what you need today, what you want today, to build a strong foundation for your future. The wall that you face has so much to do about your identity. The enemy wants to take that away. He wants to steal it, and he wants to kill who you are in Christ and destroy it. He wants to minimize who you are. So you need to invest in who you are becoming in Jesus Christ. I don't want to speak to those who are in their 30s and 40s. These are challenging years for your faith. In this age and stage, I have, we have observed so many families silently quit church. And that hurts. We've seen them quit their marriages and their faith in this age group, like no other age group. And the walls in this age group are distractions and the pressures of life, just like the weeds that choke out the wheat that Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower. There is a significant assignment from the enemy to go after families in this age, and he will try and abort your spiritual legacy. He is aiming at your family. He will give you every single reason to stop regularly attending church, including using the thought, I'm putting my family first. And it's not to say that you're always going to get your family to church because we've had different measures of success in that area ourselves. In these years, you are introduced to the concept that you are a finite being. 
You may be confronted with failure, grief, parenting challenges or financial challenges and your ideals are challenged. I don't want to minimize how hard it is to be in your 30s and 40s. 2 Peter 1.3, this is the good news, says this. His divine power has given us everything we need, to, we need for a godly life. His divine power, and I just want to pray for all those in their 30s and 40s in this church right now. Jesus, I just pray for every family that's struggling to, to realize their destiny, to see who you are in the middle of that struggle. In Jesus' name, I pray, Father, that every single family would know the divine power that you have given them to live a godly life in Jesus' name. I pray that if these families are at the wall right now, that you would show them a doorway through. We thank you for great grace over these families. Speak to them in dreams and visions in the night. And we thank you that you give your spirit without limit. And for anyone who's dry, we thank you for your spirit, the spirit of Holy Ghost, the spirit of Holy Ghost just coming over those families and we draw them into your kingdom. I want to tell you there is a warfare. There is warfare for, the, for, the, for, for legacy in your family. Man, there is warfare. The devil wants to, to stop the spirit of God flowing through you to your kids and to the generation. And we fight this battle. We pray for our children. We declare God's truth over them. We give them advice they don't want to hear at times. I'm sorry, children, for including you in this message. You are amazing. To the older generations, I haven't had much experience being there yet, so... I don't have too much to say. Have a Caleb spirit. You may have watched people die out around you and ones who squandered their inheritance, but at 80 years old, Caleb received the promise, his inheritance, give me that mountain. And the wall that you face may be just this self-confidence thing that I don't have much to offer anymore. My best days are behind me. I want to encourage you, older generation, to stand up in the fullness of your identity. You've got so much to offer the next generation in your advice, in your prayers, in your encouragement. I want to encourage you, older generation, to meet young people, to just get out of your seat and be bold in this church. I wonder if we just have the band up. <clears throat> This, um, there's this hymn that you'll know, or most of you'll know, if you're under the age of 50, maybe. <laughs> Benny Hinn sings this one, I'm pretty sure. It is Crusades. Spirit, no, no, no. <coughs> Daniel's going to, oh, did you say you wanted to sing it, Daniel? <laughs> Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me. Use me. And we may have, you know, in the past, we may have said, God, you know, use my hand. You know, just melt that hand. Melt that head. <laughs> melt my foot, my arm, my leg. But maybe God's just saying, I need all of you. I want to melt and mold and shape every single part of who you are. 
just want to just let's just all stand right now. Today, you may be feeling like you are at a wall, and I'm speaking to everyone who's just at some kind of wall this morning in a greater way today. You might just be feeling like, I've just got to let God be God. I've got to let Him direct my life through this. And I want to just remind someone that Jesus never stops being the doorway of your breakthrough, of your provision, and we never outgrow Him and our need for Him in every dimension of life that we go through. He needs our surrender. He needs our surrender. And at the wall, there's usually something surrendered, given up. You know, giving up doesn't mean losing, though, eh? Not when He wants to give us something so much greater than what we had a hold of. So today you might feel like, man, I've just got something. I just need to surrender and that, whether it was control, you just go, I've got to give up control. I've been intellectualizing, said that word. Um, I've been, you know, I've been in that place. I'm trying to rationalize everything away, but I've just got to surrender to Jesus. He, he receives your surrender. You might be like, I just got such a small faith right now. I just got the tiniest measure of faith. That faith, don't despise that faith. There's something powerful about your small faith today. There's something powerful in your inheritance with what you do with that faith today. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I just thank you for every person, every generation in this building today. And Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would show everyone what they need to do at the wall. What they need to let go of, what they need to embrace. I thank you for clarity and I thank you for opportunity at the wall today. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're at the the wall today and you're at the wall of actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're like, I I realize I've been a spectator. I've been a fair weather fan. I, I haven't been in, I haven't got any skin in the game. And the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Jesus today. He is drawing you. He is drawing you. He is calling you. He is inviting you in to get into the fullness of what it means to be in relationship with Him, to know Jesus. And the Bible says that it's by grace that you've been saved. And I know I've talked about pressing on and pushing in and not giving up, but none of that can happen without grace. None of that can happen without His amazing grace and power that is at work within our lives. And if you want to step into this river of grace right now, just right now, I just want every eye closed, just every eye closed, because I want to ask you, if you know that you've just been on the in the crowds, 
and you are not engaged in the game. And I'm not talking about church attendance, all right? I'm talking about you and Jesus. You and Jesus on Monday, you and Jesus on Tuesday, you and Jesus in the expression of who you are as a follower of Jesus, all right? If you know you need to get into the game, if you know that you need to give your heart and recommit your heart to Jesus, right now I want to ask you to lift your hand and say, yes, Glenn, that is me. I need to get in the game. Awesome. I see that hand. Is there anyone else here today that just says, yes, I need, I need grace. I need grace at this wall. I need grace at this wall of salvation. I need, I want to know that I'm loved by the Father. And you want to say, yes, yes, at this, at this place of decision today, I want to know Jesus. Is there anyone else here today? Let's just pray for those who have lifted their hands up. Jesus, I just thank you right now for your incredible grace that we can only come through the Father, through you, Jesus Christ. And, and I just thank you right now for the inheritance of those who lifted their hands to you, Jesus, and said, yes, today. I thank you that you will never leave them, that you will never forsake them, that you are with them, that you are with them today. And I release all condemnation in Jesus' name. We declare there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's just give the Lord a hand.